It's 4 o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of Calvary Live. I'm so blessed that you have joined me at this hour. I am your host for today's program, Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel Greeley here in Northern Colorado, and I'm ready to take your calls. The number to call, as you heard, is 303-690-3000. I would love to hear from you. You, the caller, you, the listeners, are the ones that make this show, and I'd love to be able to help you give understanding and clarity uh, concerning the scriptures. Maybe your Bible reading has brought up some questions. Maybe you got questions about Christian living or current events. How does it affect us as Christians? And so I want to be able to be a blessing to you and to be able to also take your prayer requests, because I know that those of you who are listening on Grace FM, Colorado, from Pueblo all the way up the Front Range in Colorado on 101.7 in Southern Colorado and 89.7 in northern Colorado up to southern Wyoming, uh, and you as well in the Hope FM radio network on the East Coast. We encourage you to call to receive prayer, and I know that some of you, you need prayer, and we want to join together and pray for you and bless you in that way. So the number to call is 303-690-3000, and the lines are open, so now's the time to grab one of those open lines And let's see what the Lord uh, has for us in this next hour. I know he wants to bless, he wants to minister, he wants to bring truth, he wants to bring comfort, and uh, he wants to do so much. And so uh, give me a call at that number, 303-690-3000. You on the East Coast on the Hope FM uh, that are listening on that station, that you can call it this number as well, and we'd love to talk with you. Uh, we um, also have a means for you to be able to text in a question uh, and be sure to text safely, and maybe that's a better option for you. And as time permits, we will get to those questions, and that number is 720-336-0897. Again, for texting, the text line is 720-336-0897. I always encourage those of you who listen regularly on um, the radio to Calvary Live. Put that number in your favorites, your contacts, even uh, the call-in line, 303-690-3000. That way you can pull it up and you can call right away or you can text a message and uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, those of you in Colorado, yesterday we had a uh, quite a storm come through and uh, it produced a lot of hail and we got that storm up here in Greeley as well. So I hope that you're cleaning up from it. We know that in Denver there was a large hail that did a lot of damage to cars and homes and to uh, businesses and churches, to property. And also up here in Greeley we had uh, a lot of hail. It was the pea-sized hail. It wasn't the big uh, ping-pong-sized hail that some got in the Denver-Westminster area, northwest side of Denver. But uh, we got it hard here at the church, did a lot of cleaning up today. Uh, it piled up about a foot deep in the parking lot, and uh, it was so hard, the rain and the hail, that actually set off the alarm. So a lot of hail here we got 
And, uh, and it's the time of the year uh, for we know that that can happen here in Colorado and southern Wyoming. I know out east that you guys, you get storms, maybe maybe not so much the hail, but you can get hurricanes, you can get storms as well. And I was thinking about that as we were cleaning up that uh, storms do come into our lives. And uh, I want to read to you from Mark chapter 4. It's also recorded in Luke's Gospel, this story in Matthew's Gospel, all three synoptic Gospels. But on the same day as I read Mark's uh, account of the disciples in a boat with Jesus when a storm came up, a real bad storm, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful, and how is it that you have no faith? And then they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so um, I want to encourage you, those of you that are in the storm, that sometimes just as the disciples were in the boat, and some of these disciples grew up on this lake, they knew about storms, but this one was particularly bad. And they woke Jesus up, who was asleep in the boat, and they said, Don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to perish? They didn't uh, wake him up to say, you need to do something, but they woke him up to put him on notice that, you know, we're going under, we're going to perish, and don't you care that that's going to happen? And maybe you who are listening, some of you, maybe you're going through a storm, and maybe those thoughts go through your mind. You're wondering, Lord, do you even care that I'm in this storm? It feels like I'm going to go under. It feels like everything's going to fall apart. And and it doesn't look good at all. And I want you to know that he is your hope. And I want you to know that, that the one that was in the boat uh, is with you. And he is with you in your storm. And he hears you and he sees you. And he says to you that you are to be one to have faith in him, to stand on his promises. And there isn't any storm that is too difficult that he cannot work in. He knows you, he sees you, he hears you. And those are natural feelings that we can have. But have faith in him. And he gave a promise to these disciples that we're going to get to the other side. And his promises are true for you. And so I want to encourage you. And maybe today you just need some prayer. Maybe today you just need um, some answers from God's Word. I want to be able to minister to you and bring God's Word and comfort to you in the best way that as he leads us. And know this, that he calmed that storm. And it says immediately uh, the great calm came. All of a sudden it was just still. And they were amazed. They they were exceedingly afraid, it says. Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Well, he's the creator of the universe, and there's nothing too big for him that he can't work. And he loves you and desires to minister to you in your life and in the storm that you're in. And so just look to him and trust in him. Well, give me a call, 303-690-3000. Let's go to line one to Lainey in Greeley. Hi. Lainey, how are you? I'm doing good, Pastor Jeff. How are you today? I am good. What do you got for me? <laughs> well, I've been trying to make my way through Matthew, and it's not the easiest book. Um, 
and I came to, well, we were talking on um, Wednesday night, I guess it was, or maybe it was even Sunday, about uh, Jesus healing leprosy, and so now I'm kind of getting a little further, and he's he's casting out demons, or he's healing, you know, demon-possessed people. And he, in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse, I don't know, I guess it's in 25, he's talking about a, you know, Satan can't fight against himself when they're accusing him of being the prince of demons, and that's how he's able to cast out. And he says to the um, uh, religious leaders, you know, that they they performed exorcisms, and so, you know, they're going to be judged for what, they're ridiculed for what they've said. And I'm just kind of curious, how how is he able to recognize, or how are we to recognize if someone is actually demon-possessed versus um, just somebody that's, you know, it goes on in chapter 30, or, I'm sorry, verse 33, about knowing a person by their fruit, and I, I tend to think that's a little bit different than demonic possession. So, just kind yeah, of looking because, for why that's yeah. the case here. Well, that, that's, yeah. I don't know if I'm an expert on this, <laughs> um, because, you know, I, I know this, that um, that a Christian that has the light of Jesus in them cannot be possessed by a demon, first of right, all. Right, right. Um, because, and I'm saying that, Lainey, because there are those out there listening that um, perhaps here to teaching that Christians can be demon-possessed. And I remember when I first got into ministry, which was a long time ago, uh, 25 years ago, that there was kind of a wave going through the church of, um, you know, Christians can be demon-possessed and churches having demon-casting out ceremonies and and services, I should say. And uh, I remember one time, one pastor came in, wanted us to go Sunday night to the demon casting out. If you got anybody that has a demon that needs to be cast out, send them our way. And he had a list of demons, and then, you know, like the demon of lust, the demon of gluttony, the demon of this and that, and then what the demon does when it's cast out. You know, the demon of lust, you know, screams, the demon of gluttony throws up. He made it all up. So wow. <laughs> we we see the description of demon possession in the Gospels, foaming at the mouth, um, you know, things like that. We see even um, in Matthew's, in the Synoptic Gospels we've gone over, when Jesus got in the boat, after that text I read to you about the disciples in the storm, mm-hmm. right after that they go to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to Gadara, and there, Matthew records two men that are demon possessed come running right, and down, screaming. They're screaming and there's, at them and stuff. Yeah, and, and, other, and other places that yeah. sites that uh, possessed people are blind or couldn't speak. But there's plenty of other references to blind or mute people that weren't demon possessed. And so I just thought yeah. it was curious that there's already exorcisms performed. So why were they so amazed that Jesus was casting out demons? Well, um, because he did it with great authority, that's why. Um, okay. After the transfiguration, there was a boy that was demon-possessed, again, tossing himself in a fire, um, you know, all that stuff. And his father um, made a beeline right for Jesus, said, your disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus said, just a moment, went over and rebuked the disciples. And then he came back and said, uh, do you believe? And he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's all the Lord wanted him to do, is in the honesty of his heart, just throw himself on the Lord. And then Jesus freed that boy from um, the demon. But Jesus said something interesting. He said, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. 
I think the whole point of it was they should have been praying and fasting. Uh, I'm not an expert at casting out demons. I've had a few people call me and say, hey, can you come over? We think we got a demon in the house. Or um, I even had, I remember a few years ago, uh, a mom calling saying she thought her child was demon-possessed. But I don't know about all that darkness. All I know is this, is that when there is darkness, turn on the light, okay? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and the light of Jesus Christ. And um, I kind of go from there. But the demonic possession is real. We see it in the scriptures. Uh, Christians cannot be demon-possessed. And, um, you know, as far as um, those kinds of things, uh, I don't have experience. I don't want to have experience in those areas. <laughs> yeah. I prefer yeah. to give it to somebody else, but it's very real. And I know pastors that have faced that as well. So I know that yeah. doesn't bring a whole lot of uh, clarity, maybe perhaps, or uh, satisfaction to your question. But um, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever really met anybody that I could say, you are demon-possessed. Um, I've and had I don't a couple think that... encounters with, you know, patients at the hospital or something that exhibited yeah. very peculiar behaviors and even took on um, alternate voices, you know, when they spoke and their demeanor really changed and stuff. And that, yeah. that to me, stood out as unique. I don't know if that was, in fact, you know, demonic possession, but um, yeah. it, it, was, it was very peculiar. And then, you know, later on in Matthew twelve forty three, um, it talks about when an unclean spirit leaves a person and goes into the desert seeking to find um, rest, it finds none, and then when it returns, it finds its former home swept and in order, and it goes and finds seven other spirits, and they all enter that person and live there. Um, you know, again, it, I just kind of was curious. It, it's like if spirits can come and go at will, then, you know, why the need to to cast them out? Um, well, I think there, Lainey, the emphasis is that you can bring reform to somebody, but if Jesus Christ doesn't come into them, then mm-hmm. what can happen is, you know, he kind of gives a warning here that it can end up being worse. That's why it's very important that um, when we free somebody, if somebody's free from demonic possession or from the world, um, from the bondage of sin and it's important that uh, it's not just uh, reforms, but it's regeneration that takes place, that Jesus Christ comes into their hearts. Because again, when a container is either lit or it's dark, and so if the light of Jesus Christ isn't in them, they're still open to those kinds of attacks and, and that kind of influence in their lives. And I think that's what the text is saying. Okay. And I did have another question, too, but now I can't remember where I was reading it. Um, oh, gosh, somewhere in the same area. He's talking in parables. Um, oh, shoot, Jeff, I wish I had it written down a little bit better. Um, he's talking about himself, though, and, he, and he's referring to the Old Testament and, and refers to himself as, um, oh, gosh, another name, Elijah. And is it is uh-huh. that because Elijah was a picture of, Jesus in the Old Testament? Um, say that again, Lainey. Um, oh, he, Jesus refers to himself at one point he, as Elijah. He's Elijah. Talking about, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered, is that because um, Elijah was a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, there's a promise given in the last verse of the Old Testament in Malachi um, chapter 4 in, in the last section of it. 
and it says that um, that Elijah will come in the um, before the dreadful day of the Lord. So there is a promise, yeah, in this, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 of Malachi. Okay. Uh, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So that's why when you turn a few pages over, that you go to Matthew's gospel, and there is John the Baptist there in the wilderness, and the religious leaders come and say, hey, are you Elijah? And he said, no. Um, are you the Messiah? No, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So they were looking for Elijah to come before the dreadful day of the Lord. Up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was Elijah and Moses that was with Jesus. And um, and Jesus uh, would say concerning John the Baptist that he comes in the power and spirit of Elijah. But there's that promise given that Elijah will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You jump to the book of Revelation, chapter 11, in the two witnesses, and that's why it's believed by some scholars that Elijah is going to be one of the two witnesses. Also because he's able to call down fire from heaven. So that is a reference to Elijah throughout the scriptures. And so that's why they were asking, or, hey, are you Elijah? And John the Baptist said no. Jesus said he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. And um, so Elijah is still going to come. Did, uh, did the Jewish people believe that Jesus was Elijah then? That they, that, is that kind of why well, they got some, hung up there and didn't believe he was the Messiah and they're still waiting? Or Well, you remember uh, Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets, or John the Baptist. So they, there was some confusion about who he was. Well, that kind of that kind of makes me curious too. Of also, you know, there's so many places where he, he does some kind of miracle, and he and he commands people to go and tell you know tell what you've seen. Yeah. And then other times he's very explicit and gives the command not to tell anyone. Sure. And why does he differentiate or, or well, not want people I think to, to tell? Mostly in about? the mostly yeah, mostly in the Galilee, he said don't. Don't go and tell anybody, because I don't think he wanted a circus mentality. But a lot of times they went and told everybody anyway. So, um, yeah. But I think he was trying to prevent. Plus, it wasn't his time. Remember he said to Mary, the first miracle that he did, that it's not my hour. And yeah. uh, and even after defeating the 5,000, they wanted to crown him as king because they were only coming to him for a political, material Messiah, look, he's healed us, he's fed us, we'll never go hungry, we're going to crown him as king. And Jesus dismissed the crowds because he was going to come and suffer for them. So he didn't want that circus mentality. All right? Okay. All right. Awesome. Thanks, thanks Laney. for the help. <laughs> hey, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Right. Yep, enjoy your All day. Right. You too. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to line two, the James in Annapolis in Maryland. James? James, are you on? Are you yes, with us, James? I'm here. How are you? Hello. Thank you. Thank Hi. you. You bet. Uh, I, I want to say, first of all, thank you for your years of knowledge, value, uh, your expertise, and your knowledge on the Word of God. Thank you for that. Well, thank you. I'm still learning, still growing. One thing that this show does 
has helped me become a better pastor because there's a lot of good questions out there. It causes me to study. So you got a question for me today? Yes, I wanted to ask you, it's a two-part uh, question. One is, why is it, 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 I often heard that Satan lied to the uh, to Adam to Eve. James, you're breaking up a little bit. Wondering, uh, is that a lie? And also, what does that tell us about good and evil? That did it supersede him? Was evil present creation? Uh, and if so, yeah. I, I'm just curious about evil existence and sure, how sure. And, why and it's a good question, exists. and a lot of. A lot of people ask that, and James, you broke up a lot, and um, and so I think I got your question. Uh, when Satan told Adam that they would be like God, uh, knowing good and evil, um, and you're wondering, was there evil? What God did is he gave them a choice. He gave them a choice, eat of all the trees, but if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And so the, the choice was, of course, that Eve, she was deceived, gave to Adam, he sinned, and and that's when, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, when Adam sinned in the garden, that's when sin and death came into the world. And so there was a choice. And, and here's the thing. There's a lot of debate was, did God create evil? Um, when God created the heavens and the earth, and as we go through the creation story, he saw that it was all good. Um, he said, this is good. This is good. This is good. And, and then he gave that warning to Adam if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Adam didn't know what that meant because they hadn't seen death. And then all of a sudden, he makes a decision, Adam, to disobey God and to sin against God, and that's where evil came in. And I think that, um, you know, as you look at that story, um, we know that now we live in a fallen world where there is sin and evil. And people say, well, God created evil. Well, uh, what happened is it's a result of sin that came into the world because of Adam's disobedience. He was warned about that. Death has come to every man. We're born now with a sin nature. But that's why the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came, the one who lived righteously, and he lived for us. But, you know, one thing, James, I don't know if you know um, that it's in Genesis uh, chapter 3 when uh, the temptation and the fall man's recorded. But then the Lord right away doesn't leave us without a promise. And he gives a promise in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's talking about the coming of Messiah. Messiah is going to come and he's going to, um, you know, bruise your head, serpent. He's going to crush your head and he's going to defeat sin and death. And that's why it's so important that people understand that Jesus is the only one that can bring salvation. It isn't any other religious leader. No other religious leader lived a perfect life. No other religious leader, you know, went to the cross to die for our sins and conquered sin and death by rising from the grave and proving that he's, you know, the Son of God. So it goes back to, it's very important for us to understand that sin came in because of Adam's, you know, disobedience, and then life comes through Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, okay. Thank you for that. Thank you. So, Good question. So would, yeah. 
we because can here, say, here, here, here's the, the law of thermodynamics that everything goes from this from order to disorder. Prior, to, is that connected to sun and the earth being cursed? Do you well, think I know that, it's, that law probably wasn't in effect prior to man's fall. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It's one of the laws of thermodynamics, of, and that is everything breaks down, right, over time. And so, you know, God created it, um, and we know that when we go and the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem is created, that it will be, you know, for all eternity, it's not going to break down. But you bring something up very interesting, James, because uh, one of the things that um, is— uh, you know, important for us to understand is that evolution comes along and says things got better, things progress, things advance when it goes against that second law of thermodynamics that everything breaks down over time. So, um, you know, good questions. You're asking good questions. And I wanted to say, James, that one of the things that uh, people will ask is why is there evil in the world that God created? Why is there sin and sickness? It's because of Adam's sin, because we live in a fallen world, the consequences of sin. And James, what it does is it reminds us of the seriousness of sin. It is so ugly. It is so serious. The repercussions were so great that the only only way for any hope for any of us because of what Adam did and bring in sin into the world and all of us being descendants of Adam— born with that sin nature, is God giving up his son. That's how amazing his incredible grace and love is for you and for me. So thanks for calling in, James. Good question. Thanks for calling in on the East Coast. Would love to hear from more of you guys on the East Coast um, and from Hope FM. Glad you're being blessed by listening in. But let's go ahead and go to line three to Bianca before we get to the break. Bianca? How are you doing? I'm good, Bianca. How are you? Good. I just have a prayer request. I just want to ask for peace in my heart because, I mean, there are days when I do have peace, and I know I have praised the Lord in the past for different things He has done, but there are just days where I just feel like crying because it seems like as you were saying in the beginning of the show I see no end to the storm and but I know the Lord's the only answer and so I just need as much prayer as I could get absolutely and we're going to pray for you you know Bianca I was reading a devotion of Charles Spurgeon this morning and he said something that really ministered to me. He said that when we're in that storm in the, in the dark cloud that we feel like that is over us and, um, you know, storming above us in our lives, that greater is the joy when we come out of it. And, and the Lord is going to get you through it, and he's going to bless you, and his promises are going to be true. And as David said, that when my heart is overwhelmed, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And Father, I pray for Bianca. I pray that as she is down and discouraged, that, Lord, that you would lift her up. And we get that way. Even David said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? But my hope is in God, and her hope is in you. She knows that. 
But Lord, may she perceive your comfort because you're the God of comfort that comforts us in all our tribulations. You are the God that cares for us and sees us. And when our heart is overwhelmed, you are the rock that is higher than us. And Lord, that we can go and we can uh, go to you as a shelter and a strong tower and abide in your tabernacle and trust in the shelter of your wings. And I pray that you would do that for Bianca. Bring the comfort and strength that she needs. And Lord, may she just see that you're working and that your promises are true. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. Bless you, Bianca. God bless you. All right. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We'll be right back after the break. 303-690-3000. Got open lines. Give us a call and we'll continue in just a little bit. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. And welcome back to the second half of Calvary Live. We've had a great first half uh, with great questions and dialogue concerning the scriptures. We want to continue with that. We do have open lines, so give me a call at 303-690-3000. But we want to continue on uh, with the calls. Let's go to line one to Chuck and Cheyenne. Hey. Chuck, how are how you? you? Good. How are you guys up there in Wyoming? Wet. <laughs> yeah, it is. Is it raining right now? Um, No, it stopped for a little bit. I guess it's okay. giving us a break. All right. All right. What can I do for you? Well, in uh, reference to your call, uh, the lady called about uh, possession. I've been in an experience where um, I was talking with a gentleman, and he just zoned out, and I felt extremely oppressed. So I prayed and um, asked Jesus to cast the demon out, because I knew there was one there. Um, The demon left, and then he woke up, and uh, I told him, you know, about the, you know, if he doesn't do something about this, that the demon could come back with seven more demons stronger and worse than himself. So his yeah. case would be worse than it was at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. And he, and he, ended up, he accepted Christ. Good. But um, my point is, is that the warning absolutely has to be given, because otherwise you're leaving them open to be repossessed. Yeah, and it can't just be reforms. And that's why I think it's important that we do give the gospel, uh, because um, you know all that stuff is very, very real as you experience, and it's something that doesn't always is talked about. But as we go through the gospels, we see it. Um, there were many that were demon possessed, which I find very intriguing. Not just a few, but there were f- many that were freed of demon possession, and I think that um, those kinds of things are more prevalent than what we know. But it's very important. Yeah, it's very important that we, and I'm not one that focuses on demons, demons here and there. I like to focus on Jesus, but we need to be aware that there is a spirit world out there, and that's very real. And that's why we need to 
give people the gospel and if somebody is freed of a demon and you know demon oppression uh, is very real and i believe that christians can feel the oppressing demonic spirits at time not possession but to be hassled by you know the you know by satan the spiritual warfare that takes place but it's very important that those who don't have christ um, that they receive Christ, the light of the world, in their heart. So appreciate your comments. One, one more thing. Um, I sure. was prepared. Uh, I, had, I had prayed and fasted before. And I think that's the key is you can't pray and fast at the time. You have to pray right. and fast beforehand so that you're ready if the situation comes up. And I think that's yeah. a mistake that a lot of people make. Yeah, and when he said that to the disciples— that this kind doesn't come out except for prayer and fasting. I think Jesus was saying that that's what you guys should have been doing. It's a lifestyle of always being praying and fasting because this takes place when Jesus is up with Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And, you know, I just wonder if they're down there going, well, how come Peter, James, and John get to go? And how come, you know, he singles them out and they get to see the miracles? You know, I don't know if I like that. Do you like that, Matthew? And they're kind of arguing. And then all of a sudden, they're not prepared spiritually. And I think a good principle for all of us is to be in prayer every single day, to be open to the way that God wants to use us. And I just wonder in my own life, you know, Chuck, what did I miss out on because I wasn't prepared spiritually to be able to minister at the moment that I could have ministered? Um, and so those are good considerations and thoughts to really, you know, cause me to, when I get up in the morning, I need to be, you know, seeking the Lord. There are those times, of course, of fasting that um, we're more sensitive spiritually of what's going on. So a good point that is made there, and I think that's the point that Jesus was making to those disciples. Right, and I, I think God will tell us when we need to fast. You know, He knows what's what's coming up for us, and and I believe He'll tell us, okay, you need to fast, and yes. you know, just make the suggestion to us, and then if we do it, we're prepared. Yeah, and you know, there are times where, like, we'll set aside a week of prayer fasting for the church, but I always tell people, as the Lord leads you and how you fast, and um, I know there are times where the Lord just puts on my heart, I want you to be putting aside all the physical stuff, and, and even fasting of food, we think of that, but it might be fasting from social media, you know, the noise that's around us, just a place of quiet before the Lord so we can press in on the spiritual. So it's, it's also a good point. And there are those times where the Lord is saying, listen, I, I just want to change your day, I want you to be putting those things aside, you know, instead of going out to lunch, or maybe it is a day to just seek me and be still before me. So, very well, good, and, Chuck. And, and a, fast just, a fast just means deny the flesh, period. Yeah, exactly, and, and exactly. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm taking up your time. Other callers are waiting. No, you you're good. Very good. Thanks for calling in. So, watch out for those storms today, okay? Oh, yeah. We got some coming. All right. Yeah, Bye. we do. You be careful, Chuck. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. All right, 303-690-3000. Let's go to line two to Alicia in Aurora. Hello? Alicia? Alicia? Yes. Alicia, yeah. How are you? Alicia, good. how are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am good. You got a question for me? Yes. 
Um, so my question is in reference to um, in the scriptures where it say where it says, "Let not many of you become teachers, because you will receive the stricter judgment." Uh, yeah. I guess my question is just, what is that judgment? Is that the bema seat judgment? Because I thought once we were um, believers, um, there was now no judgment for us, and um, so I'm just con- I'm just questioning. I guess what what did, what that means. You know, that's a good question. And being a teacher of God's Word, I try to uh, skip over that verse um, in James chapter 3. But it is a very sobering verse. And and the reference is James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And he goes on and he says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to brighter bridle the whole body. And he goes on and he talks about the untamable tongue in that chapter. A couple applications that I make when I read this. There is going to be a stricter judgment for those who are teachers. Those of us who teach the Word of God, none of us teach it perfectly. Um, I've gone back and I thought, oh, I taught this way or that. And, you know, I, I've changed or grown to understand um, things a little bit more, but none of us are perfect teachers. But with that said, that it is an awesome responsibility that I have as a pastor teacher to be teaching the Word of God with accuracy, what the Word of God has to say. And I think that a reference here is, um, you know, uh, a stricter judgment that we will be held accountable for what it is that we teach. I It's not talking about when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, in, in verse 10, that he says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that we as believers are not going to be judged for our sins. Jesus already took that judgment on the cross. But what we have done in the body, whether good or bad, so our works are going to be judged. And I think that's applicable to us who are pastors who are teachers, who are ministering, that our works are going to be judged. The wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn up. We will be rewarded for that, which is like gold, silver, and precious metals. But also, this could be applicable to those who are false teachers, those who um, teach a false gospel, those who pull people away from Christ, that there's going to be perhaps a stricter judgment. But I think there's a third application here, And that is, he's talking about the untamable tongue. So those who desire to be teachers are not only going to be under a stricter judgment concerning the Lord, but other people are going to be judging as well. Uh, Alicia, for example, when I'm on the radio every day, you know, 3.30 under the fig tree, when I am behind the pulpit on Sundays and Wednesday nights, um, we have podcast. Uh, when I do Calvary Live, I am going to be under a stricter judgment of other people that are going to be listening to me, and they are going to be holding me accountable for the things that I say, and that's very sobering as well. So that is part of the stricter judgment too, um, is that if I'm saying things that are wrong, um, that I'm going to be called on it. If I'm saying things that are incorrect, I'm going to be corrected. But, you know, because I am to be one that is to handle the, the, uh, the 
you know, be a good steward of the the mysteries uh, of Christ and the Word of God, and um, to be able to handle it wisely. To be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. And so those are the stricter judgments that come from others, comes from the Lord. So I don't know if that helps, but it is a very sobering verse. Okay, yeah, that definitely brings um, some clarity. I think, James, what he's saying there is that, you know, because a lot of people say, I want to be a teacher, I want to teach the Bible. Well, take it seriously, you know? It's very sobering. Even um, we were reading in Luke's Gospel, this is kind of interesting, that um, just a few Sundays ago, he gives a warning. He says that if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better that if a millstone be hung around their neck and them cast into the sea. Now, that's quite sobering, isn't it? Yeah. And he takes a little child up in the Galilee, said the same thing in the other Synoptic Gospels, and says the same thing. And, uh, you know, I've shown slides of a millstone of Israel that they dug up in Capernaum when we were there, and it's just a large donut-shaped stone. Uh, there's two sizes, a smaller one that would be about 100 pounds that they crush olives and grain, and then there would be a larger one that they hook up to an ox that would walk around in a circle and crush large amounts of grain and stuff. But either way, if it was hung around your neck and cast into the sea, you're going to go down fast. But here's the sobering thing. Jesus said, woe to you, for it would be better. In other words, that's the better option, that that millstone be hung around your neck and you cast into the sea. And he doesn't tell us what the woe is. So I think it's a very sobering thing. We don't want to, and I think Jesus in Luke, as well as in Matthew, when he has that child that he you know, has before him, is not just talking about somebody young chronologically, but also somebody who's young in the Lord and uh, keeping them from coming to Christ. He's rebuking the religious leaders that were coming against Christ, keeping people from coming to the Messiah. And uh, so... You know, that stricter judgment, are you keeping people from Christ? Are you keeping people from coming to salvation? Um, it has all those implications of what James is talking about there. Okay. Pretty pretty intense, isn't it? It is. It is. So, I, I just was wondering, yeah, because I, yeah. I know that uh, there's now no condemnation found in Christ, and Right, like, there well, isn't. Well, it's just judgment. Is it a separate judgment just for pastors and teachers? Or Yeah, and like I said, none of us teach the Bible perfectly. Um, there isn't anybody. And I understand the flaws, but the other side of the spectrum or you, the other side of the coin is this. We do need to take very seriously in handling the Word of God and presenting the gospel message um, because— um, you know, uh, it's just very important that we do that. So, all right. right. Good question. Thank you. Thanks for answering it. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. All right. Got an open line. How it works is when somebody hangs up, there's an open line. We still got some time here in the show today. Let's go to line three to Robert in Colorado Springs. Robert. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Good. I have a... My question was about... Okay, so it's a... I called in a, a, a few weeks ago, and um, I guess I under, my understanding is that salvation comes through belief in Jesus Christ, and I was wondering 
um, what circumstances could there be where um, where someone could is it possible that someone could be saved out, without knowing about Jesus Christ? And I'm talking about uh, situations where someone just had doesn't have the opportunity to know about Him. Yeah, and that that get asked, you know, by people. What about you know the person, you know, in the jungles of Africa or South America or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. You know, some yes. people even say, "What about you know the Jews who you know um, have the Old Testament? They believe in God. They're God's chosen people." Here's the thing that I can't tell you: what the Scripture says that Jesus said that I am the way, not a way, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a very simple statement. It's also a very exclusive statement, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so salvation comes through belief in Jesus Christ. But okay. then the person comes along and says, well, what if nobody heard of Jesus Christ? I think we go back to Romans chapter 1 where it says that, you know, as it talks about that there's the evidence that, of God that uh, we see that no man is without excuse. I, I think where I rest in that is God is perfectly just and he's perfectly fair. There's no evil. He cannot be a liar. Um, and one day we're all going to stand together, and, as Revelation chapter 19 says, and say, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. We're not going to say, well, that wasn't fair, you know, to those guys. That wasn't fair to um, those people who didn't hear so, you know, there's um, accountability and, and responsibility that comes with knowledge when somebody hears the gospel and they reject it. But, you know, Paul goes on to say that um, for since the creation of the world in Romans chapter 1, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he knows the hearts. He's going to be fair. He's going to be just. And I got to leave it at that. But I want to give the gospel as much as I can um, to people that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I understand that. I, I, um, I, I have to... Okay, thank you. Yeah, you, you know, and some people wrestle with that, and um, and and the thing is, is I he, here's the thing that helps me uh, with all of that, uh, Robert is um, the Lord says you don't know as much as you think you do, so this is what you do: you love them, you give them the gospel, and then leave the judging to me, because He's the only one that truly knows the hearts of men. And he's the only one that can judge perfectly, which he will do. Okay. So what I understand is we just don't know. I mean, I mean, they don't, they don't. We just God will judge them, and uh, we can't, we can't say they're going to hell or to heaven. It's just that's up to God you to know, decide. But. Somebody, somebody who asked me that, I usually ask them, "You have heard the gospel because I'm telling you the gospel. So have you received it?" Um, sometimes people will ask that question, and I don't get this from you at all, Robert. I think you're very, very sincere, and you're asking a good question. 
But sometimes people ask me that because they want to argue with me or it's an excuse. Well, why would God do that? How can you say, you Christians, that Jesus is the only way? And I tell them that Jesus declared that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. We know that he is our salvation. Jesus prayed that prayer in the garden. You remember that he prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus, in that prayer, what he was saying was, Father, if it is possible for any man or any woman to come to salvation apart from me going to the cross, that I don't need to take on the cup of suffering and death. But because he submitted to the will of the Father, he said to Peter in the garden when Peter pulled out his sword, you know, um, that put it away, Peter. Don't you know that I'm going to drink from the cup that the Father has given to me? There was no hope for mankind, for any of us, if Jesus did not go to that cross. No. So salvation yeah. comes to Jesus Christ. But he is the righteous judge. And for the person who never heard about Jesus Christ, he knows their hearts. Um, those, you know, um, that never heard the gospel, um, you know, I'm going to leave it to him. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think this understanding uh, the saints of the Old Testament also, I think that clears it up a lot, because they couldn't enter heaven until the resurrection, is that right? Or until, um, I mean, in a way, they even though they never personally knew Jesus, they they still had to go through him, because they couldn't enter heaven until he, I mean... Here's the that... thing about the Old Testament saints were saved the same way that we were. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and Paul makes this case in the book of Romans and also in the um, book of Galatians, that Galatians, he's saying, listen, the law isn't going to save you. Um, And for you who may question that, um, circumcision is not going to save you. And it's true in the Old Testament because Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He is the father of faith. He makes that you know, uh, argument, hey, this is the way it's always been. So they look forward to the cross. They they were ones of faith. Um, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Um, it is um, the Old Testament prophet that said that the just shall live by faith. Uh, Habakkuk, that's the whole theme. And then Paul borrows that in the theme of Romans, one of the themes, and Galatians, and also the book of Hebrews, that the just shall live by faith. So they were saved in faith. And then in Luke chapter um, 16, chapter 17, um, we just went over it actually, is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus was in uh, paradise, and uh, Lazarus was over in the uh, part of Hades that was the uh, unrighteous, you know, would go to. But after Jesus would uh, say to the thief on the cross, you'll be with me in paradise before the sun is set, he would descend before he ascended. Many scholars believe that at that point is that's when, um, you know, um, he said, hey, I've died for your sins. Um, and then that chamber of paradise would be empty. And now Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. So now we go directly to heaven to be with the Lord uh, because Jesus died once and for all for our sins. And so that's the thought. 
um, that uh, Jesus is telling us something definitely in Luke chapter 16, something of the eternal life, you know, of, um, you know, what happens. So uh, hopefully that helps. All right, Robert, thanks for calling in. Good questions. Let's go to line one to Caesar in Greeley. Solomon? Hey, Solomon? Yeah, hey, can, um, can you Can you do me a favor? Can you turn down your radio? Yeah. There, thank you. I have a question concerning about Solomon, because in the Old Testament it says that Solomon was the richest king, you know, in the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah. So, but us, since, you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he died for us on the, on the cross, we accepted him as our Lord's Savior. Does that make us richer than him because we have the Holy Spirit with us 24-7? Uh, you bet. And, you know, the, you, bet. And, you know, back in the Old Testament, they, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So does that make yeah. us richer than, than King Solomon? Here, here's the thing, because Solomon was the richest man that ever lived. He wore golden sandals. There was so much wealth in Jerusalem when he reigned that silver was as valuable as rocks. Um, wow. He had... And one of the things that um, in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, which we're going through, is that Solomon, he talks about he had everything. He had um, knowledge. He had wisdom. Um, he had a thousand wives and concubines. He had, you know, wine flowing. Uh, he had exotic parties that he brought in exotic animals. It would make anybody in Hollywood envious. He had enough provision. Yeah. Listen. Um, Caesar, he had enough provision um, in his daily provision for 14,000 people to have a feast. That's how wealthy wow. he was. Unimaginable. The Queen of Sheba said half wasn't even told to me. But wow. here's the lesson. Here's what you're saying, that that you're making a very, very good point. As Solomon comes along in Ecclesiastes, he says it's all vanity. He is down. He's discouraged. It's all emptiness. It's nothing new under the sun. Uh, it's, you know, trying to grasp the wind. He's down and discouraged because satisfaction and fulfillment will not come from the earthly, worldly riches. And that's why Jesus comes along and he says that beware of covetousness. Matter of fact, in Luke's gospel, he's telling about the um, parable of the unjust steward. And he's telling about you cannot serve God and mammon, that is, earthly money, because you're going to love one and hate the others. And it tells us that the religious leaders love money. They were full of covetousness and all of this. Here's the thing to understand, Caesar, that we who are Christians, you may not have two dimes to rub together, but you have an inheritance in Christ, an eternal inheritance, Ephesians chapter 1 that is so glorious and so wonderful that no riches of the world can substitute for that. And that's why Jesus said that what good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? So we have an eternal inheritance, the riches of Christ that are so glorious that we can't even imagine it. So you who are listening out there, you know, Caesar brings up a very important part. You may not be rich, materially. You may have a broken down car. You may have, you know, a roof that's leaking. Uh, you may have problems paying the bills. But if you have Christ, you're the wealthiest person around. 
and you have an Amen. eternal inheritance. And satisfaction, true satisfaction and fulfillment is not going to be found in worldly riches. God did not say that you can't have God and money, but the Bible says that it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Beware of covetousness and know this, that the riches of this world are going to go away someday. And only what we do for Christ is what's going to last. And so we have such a glorious inheritance coming to us. We're joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says. And, um, you know, Caesar, you know how it is. If somebody leaves you an inheritance, you know, here on earth, it's kind of nice if they have some money or something. Yeah. Well, we have, we're, you know, have the spirit of adoption that we are told that we can cry out, Abba, Father, because we're joint heirs with Christ. And we have a rich, rich father, uh, eternal riches that are ours. And so we want to keep our eyes on heaven, and we want to realize that the things of this world, they're going to go away. They're going to burn up, and we want to live for eternity. And we want to tell others that those riches are available to them. That's one of the fallacies of the whole prosperity movement, uh, the whole, you know, prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel, is it gets people deceived into thinking that true satisfaction and fulfillment is found in the temporary things and the worldly riches. Again, um, he's not saying that having money or possessions is a sin in and of itself, but you cannot have a love for those things and you cannot be coveting, and those are sins that the Bible warns very much again. And um, and we need to make the Lord priority, whether we're wealthy or not. So good question. Hey, thanks, everybody, for calling today. God bless you. Have a great evening. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep studying the Scriptures. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.